probably to find the pace of life slow enough to attain that. And, and you have to get rid of these and the internet. Life that we're familiar with now um, is one in which everything going on around us wants a piece of us. Do you feel that? Everything wants a piece of you. Everything wants a piece of your time and a piece of your schedule. We can find enough things to fill our waking hours with work and, and home and family and relationships. And then we add in hobbies and entertainment. And then we add in church. And then we add in uh, going to uh, a Bible study maybe or taking some time in the morning or the evening to study God's Word. What we want is to get a life that's in balance. But I think we might be asking the wrong question with the wrong goal because maybe for the Christian that seeking after balance isn't the right thing. Maybe that's the wrong question. The goal for the, for the Christian I'm going to propose today is that we should be serving God, not trying to find balance. It's, again, a question of priorities. We talked last week about what we do with our time, and again, this is a question of priorities. And we want to answer the question today, how do I follow Jesus Christ faithfully in every area of my life? Because the problem is, we have all these little blocks of things we want to do. And we only have a certain amount of time in the day, so we're fitting these blocks. Well, I'm going to spend 30 minutes here and an hour there, and then I have to drive, and then I'm going to shop. And we put in all these little blocks of time, and we have a God block, a relationship with God, a, a quiet time block, whatever it is, a go to church, go to a Bible study. We have this block of time, and, and we try to cram it in, but when we get down to it, we find out that that block's been squeezed out of the equation because we put all these other blocks in first. And so what I think we're going to discover and what I want us to, to think about today is that God's not one of the blocks in the mix. We put God in a little compartmentalized box and we give him a block of time and we say, okay, God, you can have a half hour today. Or you can have 20 minutes. You can have maybe five minutes. Maybe some of us have longer. Maybe some have an hour, some have more. God doesn't want to be in that little box of time, in that little block. So we have to reorient our thinking around the fact that God is overarching all of these things. And instead of trying to find time to fit God into our schedule and into our planning, we need to start asking questions about the things that we're doing and find out how they line up with God's agenda for our life and His will for us and how those things begin to work together. I hope we can do that today. Um, Isaac handed out a sheet a few minutes ago. We're going to go through that in a minute, uh, kind of let you do a, most of that at home, but we're going to talk about a few things on there. But what I want us to understand is God in Christ demands our obedience and our attention, and He doesn't want to be one of many things in our life. He wants to be the thing in our life around which all other things resolve. So the goal is to bring every area of our life into harmony with God and His will for us. If we do that, then we'll have this perceived idea of balance. But listen to these scriptures that I'm going to read real quick. Philippians 3.8. This just talks about the Christian's attitude towards time, schedule, and balance. It says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. That's a pretty bold statement that Paul's making there. He's saying that everything else pales in comparison to this relationship I have with God, and everything else is arrayed around it, such to the point that I'm willing to lose all those things if I can at least keep Christ. That's important. That's a good attitude to have. Do we have that attitude? That's the thing. I'm going to challenge you today with some some attitudes, some, some heart attitudes, and some logic, and some thought processes we have going on here about how we devote our time or don't devote our time in our relationship with God. Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he has found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had in order to buy it. The kingdom of God is so valuable to this person. This is a little metaphor, a little parable Jesus told. He's saying, in essence, the kingdom of God is so important to this person that he sold everything he had in order to purchase it, in order to have it, in order to buy it. Is the kingdom of God, is the relationship with Christ, is being filled with the Holy Spirit and loved by a Father so important to you that you're willing to forego all those other things in order to have it? Or is it just one of many in the mix? Luke 5, 27 and 28 says, After this, Jesus went out. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. He said to him, Follow me. And look what he did. He said, Levi got up. He left everything and he followed him. He was in the middle of his job collecting money for taxes. He got up. He left his table. He left his tax money. He left his ledger. He left it all and he followed Christ. How does that sound in... in, in when you, when you take that kind of story and look at your own quality of fellowship, I don't know if that's a word or not, but I'm going to use it. When Christ called you and he said, follow me, and you stood up to follow him, did you leave everything? Or did you drag it all along with you? <laughs> and you're trying to block it in and fit it in. Luke 14, says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Wow, that's the, that's the words of Jesus right there. Can't argue with what Jesus said, right? Leave everything, give up everything in order to follow me. What these verses tell us is that knowing and serving Christ should be the only thing at the forefront of our minds. All the other things are arrayed around that. It's worth any price, any sacrifice, and any labor. Following Christ isn't the most important thing. We sometimes say that. It's the only thing. Do you see how our thinking has been wrong on this and our logic and our application of the way we, we allocate resources of time and energy and money and, and all the things that we have? We, we have these ideas that we think are logically uh, in line with what we think the world should function like. And in fact, God says it's completely another way. It's all about me. I am first, and I am foremost. So our relationship with Christ isn't just one of many to be prioritized and balanced. It's the center around which everything else resolves. I'm going to read a couple stories. Uh, Mark 14, if you look there with me, it's also going to be on the screen, but we're going to read a couple verses, 3 through 7. This is a, a story about why balance isn't the goal. So let's take a look at 3 through 7, uh, verse 14. It says, And while he was at Bethany, this is Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, 
Indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. The value of this perfume in this story is estimated to be approximately one year's income. Logic would dictate what the uh, apostle said. Let's sell it. Let's figure out how to spend it. We'll write a strategic budget. We'll uh, have, a, have a board meeting and we'll vote on how to spend this. Or if it was an individual, you might do something like this. 10% to the church. That's, I know. I just had to put that in there. 40% to pay bills. 20% to splurge on vacation. 30% into savings. You know, if, if somebody said, hey, here's a year's worth of, of income. Do with it as you please. So we might logically arrive at some type of equation like that. But this woman did something weird, didn't she? Potentially could have sold it and had what she could have had to live on for a year, but instead she poured it out on Jesus. We probably could stop there and just go home and think about that for the rest of the day. She had a different mindset. The value for her for following Jesus was so high, she was willing to splurge on him 100% of what she had she was going to give to Christ. 100%. We see the same thing in the world. Um, some things in this world are worth a great price, and some things are worth being unbalanced for. You know, that, that this whole striving after balance may not may, may be the wrong thing to strive after because maybe we're not supposed to be imbalanced. Think of this. Uh, I wrote a couple down. Three areas worth being unbalanced for. Fitness. Has anybody ever been unbalanced to have a better body? Unbalanced to have a better body. You know, you, I'm going to lose weight, so I'm going to sacrifice things. I'm going to be unbalanced in what I eat. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to give up time in this area in order to devote time to this area. And so we're unbalanced maybe for a season to get healthy or to get into shape. How about with family? Um, we have had two of our three daughters with us. For uh, home, well, one home from college, one that lives with us, but they've been with us all summer. Abby's here for two weeks. Our schedule for the next two weeks is going to be a little unbalanced. And I've even told people at church, you know, we're not going to be in the office much. Send me a text or an email. If you don't know where I'm at, I'm probably with my kids. You know, Abby's here for two weeks, and then she's gone again. Some things are worth being unbalanced for. How about finances? We work hard. Maybe you get this idea, I'm going to work hard for a month and then ask the boss for a raise. Anybody ever done that? Daniel, you've done it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try that out too. I don't think it works that way. Or you want to pay down debt. Probably more of us have done this. And so you live unbalanced because you want to pay down that debt, right? Maybe you don't splurge on things that you would normally buy. I'm not going to buy a coffee once a week or, or some of us every day or some of us a couple times a day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forego buying the coffees in order to pay down debt or I'm going to forego uh, spending money on a vacation this year and I'm going to live unbalanced. I'm not going to take a vacation. Instead, I'm going to spend that money paying down debt. There are things in life that are worth being unbalanced for and the woman in this story gave us an example of something that's probably of the highest value of being unbalanced for, and that's Christ. So when I'm telling you Christ comes first and it's, he's the thing that everything else is arrayed by, around, that sounds unbalanced to the world because they're like, you're crazy. You put yourself in the middle and you array everything around you. 
Jesus says that's an unbalanced life <laughs> because I belong in the middle and you array everything around me. My point is this. In the Christian life, the goal is not balance. It's devotion and obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He deserves it and he demands it. Now, the question I have for you now is, are you putting Christ first? That's kind of where this all leads, right? Is, is Christ first and foremost in your life? Are you putting everything under his control? The only way you'll ever find, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, true balance in your life is if Christ is in the middle calling the shots. So we've established this principle that Christ is first in everything and before everything, but we're still left with that original problem, aren't we? We still have that same original question. How do we allocate our time in order to serve Christ best? That's where the paper that I gave you comes in. Uh, I want you guys to do this this week. You can look at it right now. I didn't hand it out earlier because I didn't want it to... I wanted you to worship, I wanted you to share the meal, I wanted you to fellowship and not have your, your mind casting ahead. On, but now you can look at it and you can think about it and I hope you'll work through it this week because I want you to serve Christ effectively, sincerely and honestly and I want us to do this together, alright? So the first thing you need to do is examine your obligations, that's what it says uh, on the top of your sheet there. Ask the questions, what is necessary, what is essential and what really matters. And take a look at Luke. Luke 10, 38 to 42. And it tells a little story that goes like this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted. Martha? Are you out there? Martha was distracted with much serving. Logically, that sounds good. She went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care, I love it, that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. That's pretty bold. Jesus, tell my sister to get her stuff together and help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mar uh, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. How many of you are Marthas? And it's like, go, go, go. I know if this happened to us, uh, we're at home in the middle of the afternoon, somebody called and they said they were coming, Lydia would be like, I'm not saying she's a Martha in general, but if somebody was going to come to our house, she and I would like jump into gear. It'd be like, check the pantry, check the freezer, let's put some food in the oven and start baking. Sean, you go to the grocery store and pick up the stuff that's missing. Let's do the dishes, vacuum the rug in the living room, which I have to say, sorry, it's usually my job. I didn't do it for a couple months. We have some cats. And before Abby came home, Lydia said, you really need to vacuum the carpet. And I did, and it looks so much better. <laughs> it was kind of like, yeah, there was a lot of cat hair on it. But we would get ready. And if they said, hey, we're going to spend the night, we would clean the bedrooms that they would stay in. And we would call friends. Billy. We called Billy a couple weeks ago. Hey, Billy, can we borrow an air mattress? We still have it. We're going to use it next week because Abby's boyfriend's coming. So thank you for loaning it. It's like on permanent loan at the Stevenson house. <laughs> but we would take care because that's logically what you do. And that's the mindset Martha was in. 
something's happening, I need to handle it. I need to take care of it. Don't miss this. Because what does Martha receive? She gets a scolding. Can you imagine how that felt to Martha? I have been working, getting ready for the Son of God to come visit my house. My sister sits and listens. I work, and I get a scolding. Boy, I'll bet you she was steamed, right? But Jesus said, Martha, you're busy. You're distracted. You're not focused on the right things. You're doing so many things that you are neglecting the most important thing sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him talk. Can you imagine? And I know they had no clue what they had in their midst. But if Christ was here in the room, and some of us were so excited about it that we spent all our time doing something else for him, making lunch, cleaning the bathrooms, doing whatever we haven't done for a while because Jesus is in the house, when all Jesus wants is our full attention and us to sit at his feet and listen to what he has to say. So Martha got a scolding, and Mary had done the right thing. I share this example for two reasons. First, this. More often than not, the things we think are absolutely essential are not. This thinking will feed into you working on these sheets this week. Things we think are essential are not. If we take a step back, sometimes things that seemed urgent aren't really as urgent as we thought they were. The second thing I want us to see from here is that by doing seemingly essential things, we're missing out on the really important things. Did you hear that? There's a, a book, I don't, and, and maybe it's not the title of the book, maybe it's just a chapter in the book, but Tyranny of the Urgent. Has everybody, anybody ever heard of that? Anybody operate under the tyranny of the urgent? You spend the day fighting fires, uh, trying to take care of everything, and at the end of the day, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, you get there and you realize, I didn't do that most important thing. I didn't take time to fellowship with Christ. I didn't take time to fellowship with another believer. I didn't take time to uh, spend time with uh, a neighbor or a friend or a spouse or a child. I was busy doing all the urgent things I thought I had to do. If you're feeling that your life's out of balance, begin by asking yourself, are the things that I'm doing necessary? Are they the most important things? And if not, ask God if he wants you to jettison the urgent things in favor of the best things. So first, examine your obligations, and the second thing we do is examine our expectations. By the time we reach adulthood, a lot of us have a whole bag full of shoulds and oughts. Does anybody live with shoulds and oughts? Yeah. We do. Churches have a bag of shoulds and oughts. Families, men, women. I listed some. Um, you should brush your teeth after every meal. That's a should or an ought. Uh, you should never let a relative's birthday pass without sending a card. A family should eat Sunday dinner together every week. A man should change the oil in his car. A person ought to stay informed on world affairs. A woman should have her own career. A woman should stay at home. <laughs> the husband should take out the trash. The wife should change the diapers. The husband should change the diapers. There should never be dishes in the sink. Lydia would love that one. She would love it if there were never dishes in the sink. 
The lawn must be mowed once a week whether it needs it or not. A person should eat three helpings of vegetables every day. And on and on and on. And where do they come from? Mom and dad. Grandma and grandpa. Culture. Media. TV. Society. We have a collection of these 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and I'm not going to count any higher, years deep of carrying the shoulds and oughts when in fact we need to be released of some of the shoulds and oughts. And then of course there's a whole, a whole category of, of religious shoulds and oughts. Let's take a look at Mark 7. I'm going to wrap this up. Mark 7, 1 through 8. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Jesus' disciples ate without washing their hands first. Heaven forbid. Not only was it impolite in their mind, it was also a religious no-no. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding, listen, to the traditions of the elders. And when they had come to the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And it probably went on and on. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines of the commandments of men. So they're teaching. They're teaching these commands of God, instead holding to human traditions. Mark writes this story so that we can see that Jesus confronted the religious traditions of the day, the shoulds and the oughts. So I want you to think about that as you go through part two on your sheet. Are you holding to shoulds and oughts, both cultural, familial, or religious that are holding you back from really serving God and they're taking up time and unnecessary energy in keeping you from following Him the way you should? Are you, in fact, as he put, following the doctrines of men as if they were the doctrines of God? Because that can happen. That can happen in churches. That can happen in our individual lives. Is the continuing effort to keep rules keeping you from serving and worshiping God? Because keeping the shoulds and oughts is not the way we worship. I love that. The, the word worship, when I, when I boil that down to the definition, the raw definition of worship, is obey. We have to get to that point where we obey Christ. Again, wrapping up what we talked about in the beginning. He is not a block that we place into our daily schedule, but He is the one with whom we, we arrange the daily schedule around with Him in the center. Doing this I think will help us find time and balance that we so desperately seek and want and need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we continue this conversation uh, out of here, we have the worksheet. I pray, Lord, as we carry that to our car and to our home and into our week, Lord, you'll challenge us 
to rethink our priorities. Lord, challenge us to put your son at the middle and build our lives around him. To be, to be truly Christ followers following only Christ. Lord, help us just to think about what that means this week. To challenge us to know Jesus Christ as the center and as the only, as, that, as the point in the middle of the circle around which everything is arrayed. Lord, help us to take our, our, ourselves out of the equation. Lord, if we're here today and we can look in the middle and we say, hey, yeah, I, that's me, I'm in the middle. Lord, forgive us for putting ourselves in the middle and not your son. Teach us how to put him in the middle. And Lord, as we, as we go day by day and week by week, each time we awake in the morning, may it be part of our, our daily routine and our daily struggle against sin to say, Lord, put your son in the middle today that I may arrange my day and my time and my waking and my sleeping around him and his, his desires and his will for me. And Lord, I, I, I pray that when that happens, what we see will be amazing and will be attributable only to you and to your working in us. And Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.